Garden Success is brought to you in part by the Arbor Gate, featuring unusual plants, artisan-created decorative pieces, and a constantly changing array of items that bring beauty, comfort, and even flavor to the home and garden. Arbor Gate, 15635 FM 2920, Tomball, Texas, 281-351-8851 or arborgate.com. Garden Success is also brought to you by the Farm Patch, 3519 South College Avenue in Bryan, 979-822-7209. Welcome to Garden Success with Skip Richter the show designed to help you have a bountiful garden and a beautiful landscape. Call in now with your lawn and garden questions at 979-845-5689 or email your questions to gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And now, Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist, Skip Richter. Well, hello and welcome to Garden Success. We are looking forward today, as always, to talking to you about what's going on in your garden. This show is a call-in show, so you can discuss whatever is of interest to you regarding your garden. And it could be lawns, landscapes, houseplants, vegetables, anything you want to talk about, including bugs and weeds, if you wish. Uh, but you'll need our number to make the call. It's 845-5689, 845-5689, or by email at gardensuccess at tamu dot edu garden success at tamu.edu you can send us a photo along with the email if you want something identified or diagnosed uh, please make sure they're in good sharp focus and if you attach them rather than embed them into the text of the email it makes it easier while i'm trying to do two things at once to be able to zoom in and take a closer look at the picture well, let's start off by going to the phones and talking to Phyllis. Hello, Phyllis. Good morning or good afternoon. We'll go with either. How are you today? Yes, I'm fine, thank you. I have a question about um, uh, weeds. Mm -hmm. um, is is the uh, long, thin, skinny leaf? Um, I've forgotten the name of it, but is it the terrible weed? Um, you're thinking about like nutsedge or nutgrass? Yes, okay. nutgrass, uh-huh. Yeah, there's a couple of kinds of nutgrass that we have, a purple and a yellow kind grow here pretty commonly. Um, then there's also some other sedges that are not nutsedge. Uh, they, they have a different look to them. Uh, with a photo, I could tell the difference, but chances are uh, you're talking about nut sedge. Is it, where's it growing? It's growing in with um, some of our plants. Okay. And so, uh, it's probably uh, a quarter to a half inch wide, uh, maybe 15 inches long, and it's green. And uh I think one goes uh, from another. Hmm. You know, I think I should take a look at a photo because there are several plants that can fit that description. 
Uh, a quarter to a half inch wide sounds too wide for nutsedge, so we must be talking about something else. Um, mm. So if you could, you know, with your phone, take a picture or anything, send it to us. We, I'd be happy to to try. If you if you don't want to do that, another option is to pull some up, put them in a bag so they don't wilt and dry out, and drop them off at the AgriLife Extension office here in Brazos County, and I could. That way I could tell for sure, and that way when I know what it is, I'll, I'll better know what to tell you to do about it because depending on the identity, it, options will be different. Okay. So. I will send you a photo okay. today. All right. Well, uh, just garden success, one word, at tamu.edu, and we will take a look at it. If you can get it to me here for too long, I'll... Uh, dip for the show uh, is over and if not I'll catch it next week okay thank you you bet thanks for the call Phyllis I'm bye 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 our phone number is 845-5689 845-5689 I want to talk about some things going on around the community here in coming days and weeks uh, we always have our farmers markets. Uh, there's the South Brazos County Farmers Market every Tuesday from noon to five, uh, and it's at University in Glen Haven, uh, which is uh, near the Scott and White Clinic out on East University near the bypass. Uh, in fact, it's the last street to the right before you get to that. Uh, it's the South Brazos County Farmers Market Tuesday from noon to five. All kinds of good things there, and then there is a uh, another day, and that is. Uh, let's see, make sure I get the right, uh, the Brazos Valley Farmer's Market on uh, uh, Main Street, uh, where, near the intersection of 21st Street and Main, uh, and that is downtown Bryan, and that's Saturdays from 8 a.m. until noon, 8 a.m. until noon. Now, the, the other one I mentioned, the South Brazos County Farmer's Market, uh, was Tuesday noon to 5, but it's also on Friday from noon to 5. You can go either of those days there. Uh, then there's something called uh, The Local, which is every Tuesday uh, through May 24th. So uh, I guess I just said it's already done. I'm, I didn't know they were winding up that early. That's out at Lake Walk and Bryan. Uh, and then on Farm Fridays, uh, there's one out on Tabor Road, which is FM 974. It's from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Uh, Farm Fridays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at 2861 FM 924. Lots of opportunities to get good fresh produce if you don't have some growing already in your own backyard. Uh, so take advantage of those. Uh, there are different activities going on. You know, as it starts to warm up, some of the, or the number of activities goes down. We still have all our garden clubs and groups like that that are that are having an event, but just remember that every Wednesday and Friday, the Aggie Horticulture uh, de uh, the department has the Facebook Live events. Occasionally, I'll even do one of those, uh, but it's an excellent opportunity to view live and recorded short talks on various gardening topics. Now, that is Wednesday and Friday at 1 p.m., so you need to go to the Aggie Horticulture's Facebook page to uh, be able to see and attend, that is, uh, as well as watch past shows or past uh, episodes on Facebook Live. I believe that this Friday may be about blackberries, if I'm not mistaken. It may be next Friday, maybe this Friday. Anyway, there'll be something good every Wednesday and every Friday, so I encourage you to check that out. 
Um, also, the, there's a group of horticulturists that I work with in the southeast region of Texas. There's about nine of us, and we do a thing called Gardening in the Gulf. And that is online, and it's once a month uh, at the beginning of the month. So as we're going forward here, the next one is June 1st. June the 1st, that's next week on June the 1st, uh, we have a round table. Now normally those are topical. We did one on basil, uh, we did one on spring lawn care, uh, we did one on fruit trees this year. But June 1st is a round table and the horticulturists in our region, there's about nine of us as I said, uh, will all be on and you can call and ask questions. Uh, and the nice thing about that is uh, I mean, you can always call me and ask questions here, but that way you kind of get all these guys that and, and ladies that know what they're doing uh, all over the region. And so you kind of, it's like going to a doctor and getting a second opinion and a third opinion and a fourth opinion and a fifth opinion. So I guess all together, maybe we might know the answer. Uh, I like to call it Stump the Chumps, but uh, my cohorts don't think that much of that title. Anyway, June 1st, uh, that is Gardening in the Gulf. Now, if you want to go there, you can go to, uh, let's see, oh, what's the uh, Eventbrite and uh, search for Gardening in the Gulf, or you can call the AgriLife Extension Office here in Brazos County and ask for Janice, and they'll t she'll tell you how to get how to get on there and get registered for that. Uh, we post our past shows as well onto a YouTube channel where you can, you can learn more about that. Uh, but it's a good opportunity. So roundtable opportunity comes four times a year. That June 1st is the next one. Then on July 6th, since I'm talking about it, I'll mention this. I'm going to be talking about vegetables for summer heat. Do you know that when summer comes, you can still grow good things to eat in the vegetable garden? Uh, mark your calendars for July the 6th, and we will tell you more uh, about that. So you can be, be part of uh, that one uh, as well. Wednesday. All right, let's see. Let's uh, go to the emails, and I want to talk about a couple of things. Um, Linda, and actually more than one person this week, probably three or four, has sent me pictures of pepper vine. Pepper vine is a little uh, small-leafed vine that comes up out of the ground and takes over. Um, pepper vine is a... Um, it's quite invasive and so you may have it growing in one spot and you see these little vines popping up out of the ground all around in different areas and people chop them off and then they come back and pop up somewhere else uh, and so in order to control pepper vine you need to use uh, one of two op approaches one of them would be to dig it up and when you dig it up try to get as much of that underground structure as you can uh, and whenever it pops its head up, you just go dig that up and stay with it, and you can get rid of it that way. Now, that if you've got a really extensive vine with a lot of underground structure to it, and it's growing in and among all your desirable plants, or it even pops up in the lawn, uh, that's going to be a little bit difficult to do. Uh, but that is an option. The next option would be to treat it with a herbicide that kills broadleaf weeds after they're up. And we call those a post-emergent broadleaf herbicide. Now the best, the best simplest way uh, that uses the least product and is most effective is 
to choose a product that contains an ingredient. And if you got a pen or pencil handy, I'm going to give you the ingredient in just a moment, um, that will translocate down into the vine and kill most of the underground parts. Sometime repeat treatment is necessary, depending on the strength and vigor and extensiveness of the vine. Uh, but in general, it's, it's a good way to go. Now, the ingredient is called triclopyr, T-R-I-C-L-O-P-Y-R. There's a version that ranchers use uh, called Remedy. Uh, and then on the home garden shelf, you'll see it in many products. Uh, poison ivy killers often have that. Um, Brush Be Gone is another name that's been uh, sold in the past. And there are others, but triclopyr is what you're looking for. Uh, you want to mix it. Uh, you you want to use it at a full strength, actually, because what you're going to do is not spray it. You're going to either paint it onto the bottom of the vine. Uh, we call that a trunk treatment. Or what I like to do, especially with vines that are larger, is just cut them off and immediately dab the cut surface with the triclopyr straight. And I use a little foam uh, brush like you would use for painting. They're little cheap throwaway things. A little skinny one because you don't need a big wide one. You just need to dab it. It doesn't help to get it all over the ground or you certainly don't want to get it on other plants. Uh, but if you just dab the fresh cut surface or wipe it, smear it on the base of the vine, uh, it does a pretty good job of controlling this. Usually when we wipe those things onto the base of vine, they'll mix them a little bit with some diesel, uh, just a tiny bit of diesel, uh, maybe a 50-50 mix, and that allows it to stick really well to the vine and also to get that ingredient in there. That that ingredient, by the way, works for poison ivy. It works for wild blackberries coming up and a lot of other things that are noxious broadleaf weeds. Uh, you know, the, we have things that come up in the fence line, uh, and usually they're planted by birds. That's how poison ivy often gets there. But uh, hackberries are notorious for coming up in our fence lines, uh, the woody trees, woody weeds that they are. Uh, and uh, so that's a way to get in there and do that. Now, when the soil is moist, you can dig them up. Um, there are little devices people have devised for pulling them up, kind of grabs a hold of them and and you pull back on, on the bar and it, it sort of just literally pulls them up out of, right up out of the ground when they're small. If you got one the size of your arm, you're not going to do it, pull it up that way. But little small seedlings can also be pulled up rather than having to be dug up for the hackberry and uh, Chinese tallow, those kinds of trees. Uh, but the pepper vine, uh, I, would, I would think that the uh, wiping the product onto it is probably the better way. So hopefully that helps uh, Linda and, and others who have had that, that question today. Our phone number today is 845-5689, 845-5689, or by email at gardensuccess at tamu.edu, gardensuccess at tamu.edu. So give us a call. Let's... Uh, Let's visit a little bit about things that might be uh, of interest to you. Uh, I had an interesting uh, question uh, come in from, uh, let's see, Ruth. And Ruth is asking about uh, zinnias uh, specifically. Uh, for a number of years, she has enjoyed uh, making a little 10 by 20 garden plot and sowing a variety of zinnias uh, in the garden. And um, it had a nice full bed, but you get um, some goosegrass and spurge and other kinds of weeds that pop up, but not generally a discouraging problem. You just, you know, you can 
at the end of the year you can mow them down and retill the soil and do that again. However, this year, Johnson grass has invaded. And we have a handful of weeds uh, that just are, I don't know, they're the the uh, dirty dozen, the, I guess if I could come up with 12 of them, uh, they would be the, uh, what, uh, FBI most wanted list. Uh, and, and those, I would say the three that come to mind first are nutsedge and uh, Bermuda grass and Johnson grass. Uh, Johnson grass being the tallest of all of them. The, the way to deal with Johnson grass is, uh, is, is kind of like I was talking about pepper vine in a sense. Uh, number one, you can dig it up. It has large underground rhizomes that spread rapidly. And when you dig it, getting those out of the ground uh, is the best way to do that. Now, it can come from seed, but once it gets those rhizomes in the ground, it's going to be back over and over. So digging is an option. The next option would be to spray it. And uh, in this case, you would not use triclopyr. That's for broadleaf things. Uh, you would use either a um, product that kills grasses and broadleafs, which glyphosate is, is the common one that is used for that. Uh, or you can use a grass-only killer, like uh, um, uh, cethoxidem is one ingredient. Uh, I hate to spit out all these big names. If if uh, I'll, I'll reply to your email with the specifics, but there's a couple of grass-only killers, and they have all kinds of names too, uh, grass be gone kinds of names and and others, uh, but they don't hurt broadleaf. So you can spray them and without uh, serious damage to the zinnias, doing serious damage to the to the grasses that come in it. So that would be another option. Uh, the longer you leave it in, the more extensive those rhizomes, the bigger the problem. And so I would go ahead and deal with it uh, right away uh, and try to get it out as best you can. With all the zinnias in there, you're not going dig to dig out the Johnson grass very well. But uh, that's what I would recommend. You know, sometimes you know, we, get, we get questions on all these kinds of things, and sometimes you hit a, a point where there's just not a good answer. You know, and, and, and this, this uh, patch of zinnias is on the edge of that, uh, meaning that, um, that it, the problem has become extensive enough to where there's just not some simple quick fix. And when those things occur, we go in, mow down, let the regrowth come up, and treat that. And, and then when we're done with getting rid of the Johnson grass, then go back and re replant uh, for flowers and zinnias. And zinnias are pretty fast, and they come back. And you can certainly plant more now if you decided to, we'll call that, I guess, the nuclear option, if you decide to go that route uh, to get rid of them. But boy, aren't zinnias a great a great uh, flower. They they grow pretty fast. They are excellent cut flowers. They grow in hot weather and, and in our milder spring and fall seasons. Not Of course, not in the cold season. Uh, but you can buy zinnias with various flower forms from single flowers. Think of those as daisy-like flowers to very uh, multi-petaled forms that almost look like mums, chrysanthemum kind of flower forms. Uh, there are uh, zinnias that are small and compact and make a little mounded bedding plant like you would use other flowers in your flower beds. And then there's the tall cutting types, which I enjoy growing because they are good for cutting. Uh, zinnias have a couple of problems. They can get powdery mildew. Uh, they also get a leaf spot with little purple borders and gray centers. Uh, and while you can spray for that, I generally don't recommend it. Just, um, you know, at some point when it's too extensive, uh, pull out the patch and replant and do some others. 
just going in and constantly spraying for everything that might show up on our plants is, I don't know, that's that's a lot of trouble, not a lot of fun. And uh, so unless you just had a reason to have to have a perfect patch, I, I, I wouldn't bother uh, with the spraying. But I would bother with giving um, the zinnias a shot because they're one of the fastest, easiest cut flowers. If you have kiddos and grandkids, kids want to grow some kind of a cut flower garden and let them have success and fun, uh, I would do sunflowers and I would do zinnias. Sunflowers come in many forms as well. So it's easy, easy to do. Um, I'm looking now, uh, Phyllis had called earlier, and, and uh, I see our society garlic, and uh, the thing in and among the society garlic is nutsedge, and oh boy, what do we do? When you've got nutsedge growing among desirable plants, digging it is not really practical because, you, you know, you can't get in there. Now, there's always the option of uh, digging up the good plants, setting them aside, and then going through and cleaning out the bed as best you can, and then resetting your good plants. This isn't a great time of year to be doing that. Number one, it's kind of hot to be out, but number two, uh, it's, you know, it sets your good plants back a little bit. But with this kind of infestation, this goes back to now what do we do? I don't know the label restrictions on all the things that will control sedge when it comes to society garlic. Uh, the, the leaf form of that plant makes me a little hesitant to recommend some of the nut sedge killers. So I can do a little research on it and get back with you, uh, but I would check the label on anything labeled for nut sedge and make sure it could be used uh, around a plant like this, and I would assume it couldn't until proven otherwise. One technique that I've used in getting nut sedge out of desirable plants is to use a wiper applicator, and you can actually make your own. Um, I've made them using the little grabber tools that you get a jar off of a shelf. You know, the thing's about three feet long, got a little pistol on, grip on the end, uh, and then it, it, it clamps on the other end so you can grab something. Put a sponge on each side of that, that grabber, and then apply your nutsedge killing product, whether it's glyphosate, which is not that great for nutsedge, or image, or manage, or one of the other ones that kills nuts edge pretty well, apply it to the sponge, and then you go in and you literally wipe it just on the glyphosate. So, I mean, on the, on the uh, nuts edge. So imagine you take your wiper down there and you grab the sides of the nuts edge, kind of squeeze on it, with, and it's, it's got this uh, product in the sponge, and then just pull upward, and it just wipes it all the way up the leaf. And that way you've gotten it on the nutsedge without getting it on the good things around it. Maybe it's a lantana or a rosebush, or in this case, society garlic. Now, and with the extent of an infestation that you have there, uh, Phyllis, that I realize even that is going to be tedious, but this would then fall into the category of, hey, there's not a great answer, but here's a, here's an answer that'll work if you're if you're willing and able to to do it. Uh, it's going to take repeat attempts. You don't just put something on nuts edge and it's gone in one shot. Uh, you'll get some of it. Others you'll make it very sick, and then it'll bounce back, and you do it again, and you just stay with it. Never let it up for air. The nutsedge nuts, I've said this before on here, but the nutsedge nuts that came out of winter and popped up in the spring, uh, by the time we get to May, they have maybe eight daughters 
that are growing underground that are now viable nuts. They send out little side runners, wiry runners that uh, have a that form a nut. It becomes viable, and the next thing you know, it sends out a shoot. So by the time we get to summer, you may have ten times the problem you did in the spring. So anyone listening, or any of you that have this just getting started in a flower bed. There's no time like the present. Sooner is always better than later when dealing with nutsedge because it's one thing to have, you know, a handful of, of plants in your flower bed. If you want to deal with ten times that much, just give it a few months and you will. And I say ten times, it'll be a hundred times by the end of the end of the season, because daughter plants each have multiple daughters. And uh these these weeds we're talking about today are are uh, the, the Bermuda grass, the nutsedge, and the Johnson grass. They are pernicious, and they are not easy to get rid of. Uh, they, we can get rid of them, but the more they're allowed to get a good foothold, the more the, the job of getting rid of them becomes just really unacceptable. I mean, who wants to be out there in 100 degrees in July with fire ants crawling up your arms pulling, pulling out Bermuda grass or one of these others. Nobody. And so I guess a word to the wise is the old stitch in time saves nine. Well, in this case, um, a, a uh, removal of a plant in time saves, saves removal of 10 later on. So uh, that that's, I guess, the best we can do uh, with those. Uh, our, our phone numbers, uh, 845-845. 5689-845-5689. If you're living outside of this area, it's 979-845-5689. Uh, and the email is gardensuccess at tamu.edu. Gardensuccess, one word, at tamu.edu. Had another question uh, from Larry uh, on okra. And the question is, you know, will it grow if with just some morning sun? And uh, I'd, I'd like to use that question to come a, maybe answer a little bit bigger question. Uh, and that is that vegetables that uh, just produce foliage for us, like lettuce and spinach, chard, Swiss chard, collards and kale, those kinds of things, those we can grow in a moderate amount of shade and they do, they do okay. Uh, because the demands uh, on um, the plant uh, to receive sunlight, make carbohydrates in order to grow, are, are, are less. When a plant tries to fruit or develop a carbohydrate-rich root system, then it takes a lot more sunlight to do that. So carrots and beets and turnips, for example, uh, sweet potatoes, uh, potato potatoes, or regular Irish potatoes, new potatoes. Uh, that's a lot of carbohydrate that we're growing the plants for. The, the edible part is full of carbohydrates. And so it takes more sun to do that. Uh, when it's a tomato or a eggplant or a pepper uh, or even okra, uh, that is, again, you're producing a more carbohydrate-enriched, more so in the ones other than okra, but a carbohydrate-enriched fruit, that's easy for you to say, uh, that is going to take more sun. So in general, we'd like to give our vegetables six hours of sun. If you can give a, a vegetable garden six hours of sun, you can grow lots. Uh, when we start to go down from that, 
it's not just the hours of sun, but the I'll say the quality of sun. You know, there is a, a, a bright full sun and there's dappled uh, shade and there's, uh, uh, you know, early morning hours when the sun isn't baking down as much as it would be in the midday. Uh, but in, as we go down less and less and get around three hours or something, then we're hitting a point where our roots and our fruit are not going to do uh, acceptably well. You can grow a, t- a tomato in three hours of sun. You cannot grow tomatoes in three hours of sun. Do you see what I'm saying? You can get a plant to stay alive, but we're not trying to keep a plant, plant alive. We're trying to grow the part we want to eat. And that that is why I, I go into that that kind of detail. So why why bother with all that? Well, let's say you have a garden, and I have one that is this way, where part of the garden gets a lot of sun and part of the garden gets very little. Uh, when it's time to decide what to plant where, put the roots and fruit in the most sun you can give them in your garden. Or use a container and put that large container somewhere out on a patio that's very sunny or some other location and grow them there. Uh, and and let the things that don't need as much sun to do okay uh, go in the other areas. And again, that's not to infer that lettuce wants to be in quite a bit of shade. It doesn't, or any leafy green. It just means that, that they can tolerate it. I hope that helped. Our phone number is 845-5689. So give us a call. Let's talk about what you're interested in. Save the listeners from me going back to talking about Johnson grass. That That'll... <laughs> that'll make you uh you know curl up in the prenatal position just thinking about dealing with that that thing um, I'm going to talk a little bit about vegetables while we're uh, at, on that topic this is uh entering the summer season when things get blistering hot and uh, our spring crops uh, that were do that do, are doing okay now still squash and cucumbers and and the large slicer types of tomatoes they are soon going to not be setting fruit if not to some degree already setting the new fruit uh, and uh, they they kind of go away uh, for the summer in terms of productivity but there are other things that we can plant i'm going to i'm going to pause that thought for just a minute and go to the phones. Again, the number is 845-5689. And let's talk to Donna. Hello, Donna. Hi, Skip. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I've got a couple of questions. Um, I have a persimmon tree that um, is a variety, a tachia, I think is how you say it, mm-hmm. um, that the fruit keeps starting. I guess the buds, the blooms, and then the fruit starts to... Um, form and then they all fall off mm-hmm. and I don't know if that's something if it's just the wind that's causing it or if there's uh, something that I can do to help prevent that do you have any ideas yeah Donna how long has that tree been in the ground is it a recent um, I think this is the third year okay it, it's not unusual for persimmons to cast their fruit there are certain fruit that are prone to that and okay. when, it, when a tree is younger, that's one time when it'll do it. If it's growing in a location where it can get drought stressed or, or struggle with some other kind of a stress like that, it may, it may cast its fruit. 
okay. and and so they they may set and you think you've got a load and then here they are all on the ground and that's just part of the deal so anything okay. you can do to avoid stresses in general but specifically a drought stress some plants will set so much fruit and it's like they know they can't adequately ripen the whole thing so they cast some off and they keep some and so that would be a natural uh, thinning of the plant. Uh, but I, I would say the answer to your question is going to fall in one of those, one or more of those possibilities. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's helpful to know. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and then second quick question. I recently bought um, a few uh, roses um, at the Antique Rose Emporium. So it's uh, Julia Child and... Um, mother of pearl varieties and i have them in containers and i'm wondering if it's if i can plant them in the ground now or if i should just hold off and keep them in containers since it's getting hot that's a tough question uh, this is the most <laughs> difficult time to establish a plant so right. I, i'll answer it this way if you can go out there and give them a little drink of water right where their roots are going to be for a while and that's the cylinder you pulled out of the pot you know, uh, and keep that moist and help them get established, get their roots out into the surrounding soil, I would definitely go ahead and plant them now. If you're okay. concerned about that, I might bump them up to a larger pot and keep them until fall, which is the best time to plant uh, or winter. But I, I don't know that I would want to try to take care of one in all the months between now and October, November. Uh, right. So I think I'd put them out. But just, just keep in mind that in the garden center or in the nursery, they were getting watered once or twice a day because okay. all the roots are in that one spot. When you put them in the ground, even if the soil is moist, the roots aren't out there to get that moisture. And so you got to pamper them, baby them along. You know, normally we talk about watering all plants. We always say deep soaking infrequently you know but but this is the exception this is a light frequent wetting uh, you don't want to oversaturate them so that the roots are waterlogged because that's deadly in the heat but at the same time it needs to always be moist just moist in that pot and of course you want the area around it to be moist too because roots hopefully are venturing out there uh, but that that's that's how I would approach it if they were mine Okay, great. Well, I'll give that a shot then, hopefully. All right. Hopefully they'll survive. All right, thanks, Pat. I enjoy your show. <laughs> Thank you, Donna. I appreciate the call. Thanks. Our number is 845-5689, 845-5689, or by email, gardensuccess at T-A-M-U dot E-D-U. Talking to vegetables. I want to get back on that. Um, so we're entering this uh, blazing hot season here where it's not only hot in the daytime, but I would say it's hot at night. It, you know, when, you, when our nighttime temps are not dropping below the mid-70s, when they're in the, even the upper 78 degrees or something, our tomatoes are just not interested in setting fruit. The small fruited ones, grapes and cherries, they do better in, than the slicers, but none of them really want to be here at that time of the year. So what, what's happening in our gardens is we're soon going to be transitioning. Now, I'm, I'm not saying it's time to go out and pull up your squash and cucumbers and things yet, uh, by any means. This is peak production season. But they're continuing to set more fruit uh, is going to dwindle, and each species has its own, you know, what it'll take and, and what it won't take. Uh, but it's time to start looking at the summer garden. 
Now, in the spring, and I talked about this in the spring, we have this big traffic jam. You know, you still have got you still have broccoli and kale and and cabbage and things that are still going from winter. Uh, and it's time to plant tomatoes, it's time to plant peppers, and it's time to plant squash and cucumbers and corn and all the warm season crops. And so do you get rid of your cool season to make space for warm season, or do you plant some of the warm season a little late, which is generally not a good idea, uh, especially for the things that can't take the heat. Uh, and so with with that transition, now our our warm season crops, a whole host of those are about to go out. But we have some brave, uh, hardy summer vegetables that can take the heat. Okra is the you know the queen of the summer garden. It can it can absolutely take the heat as long as all of these as long as they have moisture they're going to do pretty well. But okra would be a good one. Southern peas, black-eyed peas, purple-hull peas, cream peas, Crowder peas. All those we call them peas, but they're not the same as the I would say the true peas. The um, uh, uh, snow peas, sugar snap peas, English peas, those kind of peas that are cool season. Uh, this is a different group. These are uh, warm season tropical kind of crops, to most of them from Africa, uh, that just really do fine when it's hot and humid and whatnot. And those can be going in. In fact, I just planted some uh, the other day, uh, a couple of releases that A&M put out a while back. And and uh, they'll be coming up soon. So they can take heat. Uh, another thing that can take heat is sweet potatoes. Uh, now, most people are, have planted sweet potatoes since sometime in late April, early May. Uh, but you can still plant them. And they have they take a while, uh, you know, maybe three or four months uh, for them to go from a new plant to uh, the productive harvest. But hey, we've got it. This would be a good time to get them in the ground. Uh, they they will set your fruit, your fruit. They will set the roots uh, and be ready to dig in the fall and and do just fine. With with sweet potatoes, you you want to choose good size slips, and and a slip is basically a section of vine. Uh, and and with with sweet potatoes, we don't plant seed. We don't cut the roots into sections to plant like we do. Um, uh, with our regular um, new potatoes, Irish potatoes, those kinds of things. Uh, the, we, we instead take sections of the vine, put them in the ground, and they root so fast they survive. Now you can start your transplants by rooting them in four-inch pot or something, but that's not necessary. You can just put them out in the ground. They will wilt. You think they're going to go away. If they're moist, they will get a root out and be okay. And even even though it's getting kind of hot out there, those are planted now, uh, and and that that would be a good summer summer crop for you. Any of the winter squashes, uh, and a winter squash, it doesn't mean it grows in winter. It means that it stores so that you can eat them in the winter. Uh, that that's how they got that name. But a summer squash is something we eat when it's immature, like a zucchini or a yellow squash or a patty pan squash. A winter squash is something we eat when it's mature. The thing has a lot of full woody-sized seeds in it, like a pumpkin would. It has a thick, leathery skin that doesn't easily pierce with your thumbnail, like a pumpkin would. But that would include squashes like spaghetti squash, butternut squash, acorn squash, kabocha types of squash. Those are all winter squashes. And we can plant those, and including the pumpkins. Uh, now, and they also take a long time. 
They vary. Some may be 90 days. Some may be 120 days or more uh, in order to go from seed to harvest. The challenge with our winter squash is we have a lot of foliage diseases and uh, powdery mildews and leaf spots and other things that can really take out that uh, productive carbohydrate-producing uh, surface and uh, end up really hurting your, your yields here. Uh, but they can still be grown here. Uh, that uh, Probably some foliage sprays may be in order. Uh, uh, the other thing with all of our squashes is the squash vine borer. And if you have yellow squash and zucchinis and stuff, you've probably already discovered them. They're out and about here in the area, and they're laying eggs. I saw some eggs on some plants the other day. Uh, and they burrow in, and they chew through all the plumbing that takes the water from the roots to the ends of the vine. And once you cut off all the traffic, uh, the end of the vine wilts, and uh, there is no recovering from it. If you catch them early, you can go in there, split the vine lengthwise with a knife, and kill that little worm. Uh, caterpillar, technically. It's a moss larva. And then uh, uh, cover it up with a little soil, and the vine may survive and keep going. Um, a little bit tedious to do, but it can be done. But that's the number one insect pest that we deal with. Uh, there's also a squash bug, uh, but they're not as big of a problem as the squash vine borer, although they can be a problem. Uh, but anyway, squashes can be planted now. And then there's some summer greens. And summer greens, something that I've really gotten interested in lately. Um, in fact, this summer I'm doing a trial of about eight different new summer greens. I say new, new to me summer greens. And uh, a lot of our vegetables that we grow in our gardens, maybe you grew up in Texas and you, when you think of a vegetable garden, and if I were to say, I want you to name me 12, name me a dozen vegetables that you grew up growing in your garden. You're going to hear about lettuce and squash and cucumbers and corn and peppers and tomatoes and potatoes and so on. But I bet you won't hear about uh, some of the things that come from other cultures that are more popular in uh, Latin America or in Asia or in Africa or other places where the cuisine is different and they have plants that do really well in those cuisines excuse me, in those climates. Uh, and and I find that a lot of the things from Africa and other warm tropical regions uh, will do well as a summer plant for us. One summer plant that we're all familiar with is okra. Okra is from Africa, and it is absolutely a wonderful plant for the summer. Uh, it tolerates our heat just fine. And, uh, and we've got a lot of different varieties of okra going in some trials with AcroLife Extension this summer and uh, looking at a number of factors, including crossing some okras out there. And so okra is a summer plant that I think everybody needs to grow. Uh, sometime maybe we'll just talk more about okra and I'll tell you all the reasons why you need to grow it and teach you how not to say the word slimy because slimy is not a not a nice thing to say about okra. Uh, we may be, get fancy and call it mucilaginous, maybe. But anyway, okra does well. But what are some others? Well, uh, Malabar greens. Malabar is a uh, sometimes called Malabar spinach. And one of my pet peeves is all the different vegetables that we have attached the word spinach to that are not spinach. There's one vegetable that's spinach. It is our cool season Popeye vegetable that's spinach. But Malabar spinach is not spinach, it's Malabar. 
uh, New Zealand spinach is not spinach. Uh, Egyptian spinach is not spinach, and so on. There's a lot of them that we do that with, and I wish we wouldn't, but we do. Uh, but uh, there are a couple of in the genus Gynura, G-Y-N-U-R-A, G-Y-N-U-R-A, I believe is correct. Uh, and uh, there are, they are hot weather greens. They do well. We're trying those out. There's amaranth. For those of you who farm, you know what pigweed is, and it is a notorious weed out there in the farm. Well, there's types of amaranth that have been developed as a leafy vegetable. They still produce seed, and they you don't want them to do that in your garden. You stop them before they become a weedy mess. But they make nice large leaves. And as you can tell, anyone who's dealt with pigweed, it is not hard to grow. In fact, it's hard to not grow. Um, and so amaranth is a good green uh, for our gardens, the vegetable types. Uh, there's an all-green type, and there's also some celosias, and that's a flower that's a, it's a, it's a, um, a thing that we grow as a flower in our vegetables, but there's some varieties of it that are green. They're called Egyptian spinach. That's uh, not a good name, but that's what they call them. Uh, but sh there's some celosias that have edible foliage that do really well. We've got some of those out at the gardens at A&M on campus. Uh, you can go and see these kind, some of these kinds of things growing out there. Uh, let's see, what are some other good greens? Um, there is a um, uh, one called water spinach, which is more of a sweet potato-like vine. And by the way, sweet potato vines are also something that are eaten uh, in, in some places. Uh, and the water spinach is one that is very invasive in the waterways. Uh, it's not one you would want to get out in uh, Beaumont, Texas, on the bayou kind of areas. But um, the... Um, Water spinach in just a regular garden is, is not an invasive problem to speak of. I mean, you got it does it does enthusiastically grow, uh, but it takes the hot weather and it's a good vegetable. A lot of a lot of uh, Southeast Asian uh, cuisines uh, will will incorporate that that one as well. It takes the heat, uh, and I'm shooting from the hip here, so I'm not going to think of every one that's out there. But there are a lot of good hot warm hot season greens that we can grow. So. Uh, if you look at our chart of vegetable garden planting dates, it's available on uh, master, the Master Gardener website. It's brazosmg.org, brazosmg.org. Uh, you can download the chart, and you'll see all the vegetables and when to plant them. And a lot of these obscure ones haven't made the chart yet. But uh, you'll see in spring, there's lots of things to plant. In fall, there's lots of things to plant. And then there's just a few brave souls that go across the summer. And those are the ones that we're talking about. So I would encourage you, uh, get your garden. Make sure it's mulch so you're not pulling weeds all summer. But but keep it going with some of these hot weather vegetables uh, that do so so very well here. Uh, they had a question came in by, from email, by the way, from Suzanne. Suzanne says that she bought some uh, Meyer lemon trees and thinking about planting those in a container. And uh, what type of soil would you recommend and what size container? Or would it be better to put them uh, directly in the ground? And, and Suzanne's crossed the river over in Burleson County. Uh, Suzanne, a Meyer lemon is, is not the most cold-hardy citrus we have. It's, it's got reasonable hardiness, but most winters that get down kind of cold, you're going to have problems keeping it going. So I would put it in a container. Uh, uh, if you put it in a container, you need it to be something you can move into the garage on a very, very cold night. 
uh, and that would be something the volume equivalent of a half whiskey barrel. I wouldn't use wood as a container because the tree will long outlive that untreated wood in terms of the container rotting out. Uh, but uh, very large, like um, the um, buckets that are used for supplements for cattle, those green, those uh, black plastic containers are great for drilling holes in the bottom and growing things like a small citrus in. You can put it in the ground, just be ready when we're, we're going to get down into the, certainly in the mid, I would even probably about 28 degrees, uh, 20s, uh, cover it up. And if you can cover it up, give it a little source of warmth underneath. You can grow it in the ground uh, here uh, and do okay. Uh, but Meyer lemon is not a true lemon, but it's very lemon flavored. And it, it actually grows much better for us than true lemons. And for all practical purposes, the fruit works just as well as a lemon uh, because it essentially is the same, same quality of juice and everything as a lemon. Uh, so hope that helps. Let's go to the phones, and uh, the number is 845-5689, and talk to Barb. Hey, Barb. Hi. How, how are you? I'm good. Um, I'm not seeing any bees in my garden this year. And last year I had that, uh, oh, my gosh, basil plant that just was yes. for bees. Mm -hmm. and. And I don't have it this year because I thought it came from seed and it doesn't. Mm -hmm. But anyway, <clears throat> I have bee balm. It's got the name. Where mm -hmm. are the bees? Mm -hmm. I have it everywhere. It's beautiful this year. Okay. No well, I don't. I haven't had a lot of calls on there not being bees this year. But, um, you know, a lot of things can happen. Uh, bees have their natural enemies. Uh, the honeybees have the varroa mites and the trachomites and other things they have to deal with and other disease, even bee diseases. Uh, then there's pesticides, people using pesticides that kill bees. And so, you know, if there are none in the neighborhood, or, then they're not going to be at your place. Uh, but I would say there should be at least some native bees, like bumblebee types of things, that are out there doing the work for you. So I'm not, I don't know exactly why you wouldn't have bees, but those are some possibilities. Um, trying to think. There are other plants that they like, but I, if you've got Monarda then that, or Bee Balm, that it, they should be pretty happy about that. Okay. You, you might try that African basil again. You know, you can buy it from, from uh, containers, or if you know anyone that has one, uh, take a cutting basil, super easy to root. Uh, there are, are some other plants that they like. They like chives. They like uh, the or, uh, garlic and, and uh, uh, onion chive blossoms when they uh, bloom and, and a lot of other bee-loving plants. So you may just kind of give them a little more reason to kind of want to hang out there. Uh, you know, with honeybees, honeybees like to have a lot of something when they visit. You know, they don't want to drive or drive. They don't want to fly across the neighborhood to go to one zinnia plant or something uh, somewhere in a yard. They like to have a whole bunch. So you having a bunch of monarda is a good thing. Uh, but having a mass of things tends to do a better job of bringing them in. Okay. And then I just wanted to mention something. Mm -hmm. You talked about last week, but you were really busy with calls. And that's the uh, worms and uh, having them and how to grow them. Oh, grow them, I don't know. Oh, you're talking about a, a vermiculture kind of thing. 
Right. Thank you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, someone told me about this, and then I happened to be lucky enough to have it. And that is, if you have an old bathtub, uh-huh. they do really good in the bathtub, and you just put something across the top so the rain doesn't, you know, get too much water in there. Yes. And you just soak it towards the drain and put a can under there to collect the, the dripping. There you go. You put a little bit of a wire so they don't, so they can't get out through that drain, and it works really, really well. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that works. I like to use just a big old Rubbermaid containers and grow them in, in those as well. Uh, but yeah, that that would work pretty well. Um, I remember growing up uh, hearing stories about you know the day you know how things come and go. Well, there there have been times when raising. Uh, fishing worms for profit was was a big deal and hearing my dad talk about um, they had lights over the bins and uh, lights went off one night and they came out there and worms were crawling out of the bins and all over the place I think you probably heard that story I think I have (laughs) also the person that was raising those worms to start with uh, before she (laughs) couldn't do it anymore uh had a book and it said that you have to be smarter than the worms to be able to raise the worms. Well, that eliminates a lot of us, I guess. So, well, <laughs> <laughs> well, worms. You know that that's the the fishing worms, which would be like night crawlers and things. But uh, the just the red worms, red wrigglers. Uh, you know, are great for vermicomposting. And if you've never done it, those of you listening. Um, it, it's you can go online. It's easy to find stuff on it. I've even got a little fact sheet I wrote, wrote on it, and it and you can you can literally put them in a in a like a Rubbermaid bin. You tear up newspaper and put them in, put it in the bin, and moisten it, and then bury the scraps in it, and they they go after it. And there's a lot of good free in, advice online. Uh, there are special bins you can buy if you want to get fancy. Uh, I I uh, was had a master gardener class where we had vermiculture uh, session in the class and um, this couple went on a vacation uh, the uh, a wife was a master gardener and the husband was not and uh, when they got back from vacation uh, he complained to me that they went on the whole trip in their Winnebago with a worm bin between the two front seats because she did not want to leave the worms at home uh, and so the worms went to Colorado on vacation <laughs> Well, I guess I can, you can grow attached to your worms. <laughs> yes, I can tell you another bit of a story. Uh, they went in a backpack on a bus through Mexico to Guatemala. <laughs> they made it, but <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that's, that's, there's. I guess there's. <laughs> all right. Oh my goodness. Well, thanks for that memory. And or that story, rather, I guess I did. I did, I have not been uh, in a backpack. I had a backpack of worms before, so that's a good one. Thank you. Uh huh. Bye bye. Oh, yes. by the way, you can get them here in Bryan if oh. anybody wants to start them. Well, it, is it a place you can say on the air? I don't mind people hearing because uh, I. Um, the co-op. The what do you call it? The. Uh, oh. Uh, Producers Co-op? Yes. Now, I haven't looked recently, but I know that they had them when I went for something else. Okay. Uh, 
I usually have to go online, and sometimes I know a few people that have a bin, and they'll share some worms with you, kind of like borrowing sourdough starter to get it going. Uh, but uh, usually I have to go online and, and buy them in. But re just remember, if you're listening to this, we're not talking about night crawlers. Night crawlers in a worm bin are not going to be successful, but uh, the little red rig wrigglers are the ones. All right. Well, thanks, Barb. Appreciate the call. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Our phone number, oh my gosh, if it's a 30-second call, we can do it. 845-5689, uh, 845-5689, got time for a quick call if you'd like to do that. I want to go back to the phones, and uh, uh, Isla, I believe is how she, you say it, uh, has a moth orchid. Moth orchids are cattleyas, uh, are, excuse me, uh, phalaenopsis uh, orchids. And uh, the moth orchid is developing brown spots on the leaves. And the, that is often due to diseases. Now, some brown, if you see it kind of down here and there on the stem and the base of the leaf, that may just be kind of a natural dried section of the plant in there. But the, uh, the brown spots on the leaves are diseases. Keeping the leaves wet all the time is, is not a good thing. Uh, that's one of the things that can cause it. There's no fungicide that you put on the orchids that I would recommend. Uh, and so I would just try to avoid splashing of the foliage as much as you can to avoid spreading that to other areas. Uh, and that, that may be part of the problem. With my moth orchids, I just basically uh, water the pot. Uh, just uh, normally, just regular, uh, not tap water, but I, I prefer to use, uh, you know, RO water or distilled water that doesn't have all the sodium and bicarbonates and other things in it. Uh, I don't know, we may have listeners out there that are going, they just use regular water. But anyway, I do that. And then occasionally a little a dilute fertilizer solution, one of those soluble products you mix in water, but at a super, super, super dilute rate. These orchids grow in tropics. They grow on trees. They're attached to bark. They don't have roots in the ground. And that's why they come with bark, typically, in the, in the container you buy them in. Uh, so you don't have to keep the roots wet all the time. Just I water mine about once a week. I guess depending on how much sun and how warm it is, uh, where they're located, uh, that would vary. But I water mine about once a week, maybe twice a week, and uh, occasionally use a little bit of the, the nutrient in the water, uh, and they do pretty well. And I just put the water down on the base of the plant and in the in the pot, and then if it's a pot that holds water, uh, make sure and pour the water out so that you don't have standing water with all that decaying organic matter in it at the bottom. I hope that helps. Uh, I think that is the best advice I can give you on that. Hey, thanks for listening to Garden Success. We're here every Thursday. By the way, next week you want to listen in because we have Dr. Tim Hartman talking fruit plants. And we're going to talk about all kinds of obscure fruit trees that don't grow here commercially, but with a little extra care you can grow in your backyard. You've been listening to Garden Success with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist Skip Richter. Join us again next week as Skip discusses your questions about gardening and landscaping in the Brazos Valley. Garden Success is brought to you in part by the Arborgate, featuring unusual plants, artisan-created decorative pieces, and a constantly changing array of items that bring beauty, comfort, and even flavor to the home and garden. Arborgate, 15635 FM 2920, Tomball, Texas, 281-351-8851 or arborgate.com.
Garden Success is also brought to you by The Farm Patch, 3519 South College Avenue in Bryan, 979-822-7209.